0: SA Worship Conference 2023. Session 4. Thank you, Dan. It's been good um, in these days to catch up with people um, that you've known for a long time but not maybe seen for a while. So I've known Dan since he was like 12, and um, he's a bit taller now but just as hyperactive as he was um, when he was 12. Uh, Dan Elson, I've known a little bit longer than that. Um, Where's Dan Elson gone? Um, Little fact about Dan. Dan was my music teacher at school. I was a student. I know, that has blown your mind. Um, He was, I was in upper six when he started, but yeah, mind-blowing thing. Um, I've also known Nick for a very long time. And, um, Noah, you said yesterday, you stood up and you sort of berated at the start of the session that you felt you got the short straw because um, now you were up first. Um, and it's you know, because you know Nick, and Nick had put you up. I've known Nick a bit longer, which must mean I've got a shorter straw, um, to go last. And there's that feeling when you're, when you're up last that you've sort of been set up. Because I've sat here all weekend thinking, Oh, I was going to say that. Oh, I was going to say that. So um, we could save ourselves half an hour and go home, uh, but we're not going to. Um, because I realized why, uh, why Nick had put me up um, last um, was because um, I think he ran out of budget. And... <laughs> He blew the budget on Geraldine, and I live here, so my travel and accommodation have been really cheap um, this weekend, and um, I live here because I work here, I'm a Salvation Army officer, um, and I'm a part of the team responsible for the training of cadets, college is a lot of things, that's that's the part I, um, I work with, um, it's the second best appointment I've ever had, um, the other appointment I've had, the only other appointment, um, was as the core officer at a place called Hythe in Kent, uh, And a bit of a cheer, there are some people from Hythe, and um, we, we loved it. One of the things we loved most about Hythe um, was it was close to France. And, um, <laughs> that's, um, and um, we would love going over for a, a day trip or whatever on uh, the tunnel. You get really back really quickly. And um, it was January 2020, not long before um, COVID. Uh, we've got two kids. Um, Isaac at the time was just a few weeks old. And we went to centre parks in France. Um, because it's cheaper than Centre Parks in England, not because it's better, it's cheaper. And um, we went to Centre Parks in France, it had a great week, um, beginning of January. And um, on the last day, we drove back. And then we went to Aushan, um, which is a French hypermarket near the tunnel. And we went there because um, there's a flunch. Um, anyone, anyone been to flunch before know what I'm talking about? You go to flunch, the best thing about flunch is it's two pounds for a crepe, or two euros for a crepe. So they're not good, but they're cheap. You can see a theme that's coming, and that's why I like them. Uh, um, Auchan. and we went in, and we'd sort of done all that stuff where you pull the kids um, out of the car with you and um, all the rest of it. Went in, uh, Barry realised she'd forgotten the changing bag, so she goes back to the car, picks up the changing bag, um, we're back in, um, and I noticed that the time was getting gone, and it was getting closer to the time when we needed to be back at the tunnel. So I said, Barry, it's okay, you, uh, but we also had that list of stuff you're doing, you're hold at France that you want to get from the hypermarket, like baguettes, brie, croissants, like all that sort of stuff. So I said, I'll go and do the shopping, you go and take the kids back to the car, and I'll rush back with it. So I'm doing supermarket suite, and I've got unbaked Forget, and I've got some like, syrup and all the rest of whatever you do. And I'm there in my happy little cheesy world, scanning it at the um, self-checkout. Trying to navigate a self-checkout in England is hard enough. Doing it in a second language is just, but I was doing it merrily along to myself and um, I get a phone call from um, Berry. I'm thinking she's going to say, oh, you know, you forgot to pick up. Can you get some more pan au or whatever? So I say, oh, bonjour. And um, I just hear silence and breathing at the end of the phone. And she says, get back into the car, now! And I'm like, oh, okay, what, what's what's going on? She goes, there's a man in the boot! And so I like ran out, baguettes under my arm, and back to the car. I got back to the car, and the kids are in the car, she sort of tears down her, her face. Um, by the time I got back ready to sort it out, there was no longer a man in the boots. And um, she said she'd, um, she'd got there, opened the car, um, goes to put the carry cot, uh, goes to put the like the, the changer bag back in the boots, thinks the carry cot's gonna fall out, and somebody passed it to her. She just didn't fall, somebody passed it to her, and um, she got, um, he looked at her, she looked at him, he got off and walked away. And so we've had this quite traumatic experience, and um, I must go back in the car, And um, it's all a bit silent, it's all a bit tense, and I, Barry, are you not gonna say well done? She says, she just let rip, well done for what? I needed you and you weren't even here and I couldn't, all this happen to her. I said, no, well done because I managed to pack the car for a week at Centre Park so there was still room for a man in the (laughs) boots of the car. Because it's funny, isn't it? You only know what—that's it, that's it with cars. You only really know there's a—I'll tell you the conclusion of the story. That's not what the sermon's about, so you can have the the ending of it later. But you you only really know what's going on inside a car when you lift up the boot or you open the bonnet, right? You don't actually know what's going on in a car just by looking at it. You only know what's going on in a car when you um, when you lift up the boot or when you open the bonnet. You, you, you're never going to buy a car um, based on what it looks like on the outside, are you? You're never going to buy a vehicle based on. just just what you see going on the outside. It's the whole um, Matilda, um, You say, unless it's a nice colour, is that what you said? That, no, you don't buy a car based on the colour. You don't want to do the Matilda Wormwood thing where Mrs. Trunchbull, you, know, you sell me a nut. These cars look good on the outside, but on the inside, there's something else going on that's a, a bit different or a bit worse or a bit ulterior. Um, you're, going to, you're going to want to see what's going on inside to know what's really driving the car, what's really going on inside and um, this is true um, of the Jewish worldview of the first century. Not that they had cars, but that they understood in the Jewish worldview of the first century that what's going on inside, when you peel back the surface, when you look under the bonnet, what's going on inside has a huge effect on everything else that's gonna happen on the outside. And um, what is the thing in in a Jewish thought that's going on inside? What is the thing that you see when you lift it back? It's the heart. And um, Nat, your, um, your word to us, um, were, was as, all, as they all were, was, was profound and um, prophetic um, when you said, you know, you, um, I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you require. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. And in our sort of Western world and our Western way of thinking, um, the heart is where we feel. The heart is the center of our emotions. It's where we fall in love, um, or sometimes where we feel rage. But the heart is about feelings. Um, but in the first, uh, certainly in the biblical worldview and in the first century um, and before, the heart is something more. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and in Matthew's account, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Soul, mind, strength equals heart. That's what Jesus is kind of saying there. It is that the heart is the thing that exists at the core of, of our being and is our driving force. It is the thing which every outward action, every way that we exist and live in the world comes from what is going on in the heart. And we're gonna look at a um, this afternoon, a, a bit of a strange story from uh, Matthew's gospel. If you've got um iPads turn to matthew twelve um, one to fourteen it 's a bit of a strange story we 're going to pick up different bits of but it 's all to do with it 's all to do with the driving force of worship it 's all to do with uh, with the heart and the thing that propels our worship um, forward and um It's about a Jesus who kind of lifts up the bonnet, who who opens the boot and sees what's really going on inside. And um, we sang the Heart of Worship this morning and Noah started riffing on, um, you're looking into my heart. And um, we sing that glibly. It's quite a scary thought, isn't it? To think that um, almighty God to whom all hearts are open and nothing is hidden. Um, The creator of the universe sees what's going on inside. And sometimes that can be uncomfortable as we see here. In Matthew 12, we're going to pick up at verse 1 to 14 and jump a little bit later so um, we get through it in time. It says this, verse 1. At that, In fact, let's, um, I'm not going to read it. I'll read the first verse. Somebody else pick it up and read the second and so on. Um, if there's awkward silence, it's just going to take longer. So um, let's do a verse each. Um, at that time, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and he began to pick some ears of corn and eat them. Somebody else, verse 2. Verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And then some of that plotting happens, some more tension rises, and there's a lot of tension you can see rising in the story and in Matthew's gospel um, about who Jesus is and what's going on. And then it jumps, verse 33, Jesus now at this point, uncomfortable, has this confrontation with the Pharisees. And this is where the heart thing all takes, but, uh, sort of, comes to its fore. Verse 33, make a tree good, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, their plot to kill him. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. I'll make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in him. These are. Challenging words. They're slightly, this is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This is challenging Jesus stuff. And I want to just explore, break this down over the next sort of 15 uh, minutes or so, and think about what might this be teaching us about what worship is, about our heart, about the driving force of our worship. And to help us do that, I've got a lovely picture of um, a tuk tuk. anybody ever taken a ride in a tuk tuk? They're pretty extreme, aren't they? I remember I did an internship in India and arrived sort of jet lag out the plane, went in a tuk tuk, and thought I'd been at like Thought Park, it was like, it was crazy. And they're sort of very finely balanced. And how many wheels does a tuk-tuk have? Three. So my 3 wheel tuk-tuk, if we go into to the next slide, uh, please, J.M., um, three things that I want to talk about, about the, the driving force of worship um, this afternoon. And um, the first is um, calling, the front wheel of the tuk-tuk, and at the back, um, two wheels, um, competency and character. Uh, but this first wheel at the front, calling, Um, The story that we've just read, um, as I said, there's some escalating tension going on between Jesus and the Pharisees. And Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain fields of Galilee on the Sabbath, on the holy day, on the sacred day, set aside for worship. And um, his disciples are hungry. So what do they do? They pick some grain. And um, the Pharisees see this, and are recognizing this conflict is beginning to escalate about who Jesus is, they think, ah, we, we've got him now. This is the point on which we could trip up um, Jesus. They're like, look, your disciples are doing something unlawful on the Sabbath, and i um, to get our heads really into what's going on here, we have to understand worship in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, actually, more so, perhaps, isn't just about singing. Singing and music form part of it, but there's a whole range of what we call the cultic acts, the things that go on in the, the temple, um, sacrifices, the obedience to the law. All these things together constitute worship, and they're saying, look, Jesus, your disciples aren't worshiping correctly. You call yourself a rabbi, you call yourself a good teacher, but your um, disciples um, are getting it all wrong, and they're showing." You up, and um, the reason that Jesus is getting it wrong, and the disciples um, are being accused of it, is that the Sabbath um, is to be kept holy. And um, Old Testament law is very clear that keeping the Sabbath holy means that you don't do any work on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees had come up with 39 definitions of what work constituted on the um, Sabbath as part of the halakha, these different layers of the law. And um, like number 23, picking grain, very clear violation of keeping um, the Sabbath holy. And so, in response to this, Jesus. Give some Old Testament examples to kind of justify um, what has gone on here. And then he sort of gets to the end of it. Um, Verse 7, quotes from the book of Hosea. And then um, verse 8 picks it up. He says, And if you even knew who it was that you were asking this question to, um, you'd find it pretty embarrassing because the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's like, guys, you don't know who you're speaking to. Um, I'm in charge of the Sabbath and yet you've completely missed the point. You've completely misunderstood who it is that you're talking to. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. It's mine. And um, This is, in a nutshell, the first kind of charge that Jesus makes against the Pharisees in the story is that you've missed the point. You've not understood your own calling. You are supposed to be the experts in the law. You are supposed to be the experts in how people would worship. You are supposed to be the experts in spotting the signs of the coming Messiah. And yeah, you're having an argument with me about a bit of grain. Um, in other words, what he's saying is this front wheel of the tuk-tuk, that the wheel of calling, has become far too small. And um, it, it's the front wheel of a tuk-tuk that sets the direction. And he said, we're going in the wrong direction. It's far too small. It doesn't have enough momentum. You're, you're utterly missing the point. Um, when we lived in Kent, somebody very um, kindly bought us like, an annual pass for Wingham Wildlife Park. Anyone been to Wingham Wildlife Park? It's like a good little zoo way out in the Kent countryside, like Animal Park. And I was really excited to take Henry when he was about um, Samuel's age, about 18 months, and um, all these sort of animals. And um, it's in a bit—it's it's like it's a random place for a zoo, and they'd clearly ran out of ideas about what animals they could put in. So they had like all the usual animals, and then they built and, some animatronic dinosaurs. So it's like you go to a zoo to look at the dinosaurs, and the animatronic dinosaur, so we went along I was thinking what a load of rubbish that is like why would you do that at zoo So I was taking Henry I was like oh Henry look here are the parrots here are the penguins here are the meerkats and then eventually we got round to the dinosaurs and he saw them and he's dino, dino he wants to go and see the dinosaur well but Henry there's, there's penguins to see and meerkats and tigers and no dino, dino. So we went, walked around the dinosaur bit. It was in a stroller very quickly. Um, we start to go back towards like the wild cat area, and he's going, dino, dino, dino. And he wants to go back to the dinosaurs. And we spent two hours in a zoo looking at animatronic dinosaurs. Um, but you'll know people like that that have that kind of 18-month Um, your old toddler view of the world, that there's all these animals they could be looking at. There's all these things that they could experience and all these things they could see, but they're fixated on animatronic dinosaurs. And it just kind of misses the point. Um, You'll know people like that. There'll be people in your core that are like that. There's all these possibilities for what worship might be, for what life in the spirit might mean. And um, they'll just miss the point. They'll focus on the wrong thing. All of their energy and the passion and the zeal, it's there, but it's completely misdirected. That their front wheel, their sense of calling, their sense of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, Lord of the universe, Lord of the Sabbath, is just far too small and it's tiny, and they're not really going to get anywhere. They're not really going anywhere. Now, the story goes on. They move from the field. Into the synagogue, and the tension rises again. Matthew tells us there's a man with a shriveled hand, and it tells us the Pharisees are looking to find fault with Jesus. They're beginning to plot against him, and so they bring the man with a shriveled hand before Jesus. And at verse 10, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal? On the Sabbath, so it wasn't lawful to pick grain. What about healing? What about this man who um, has profound discomfort and pain in his life? Is it is it lawful to heal him on the Sabbath? And Jesus is like, well what else would you do if you could? If you could do that, what else would you do? If he he was a sheep and a sheep falls into the ditch on the Sabbath, are you going to leave a sheep in the ditch? No, of course you're not. This man's worth even more than a sheep. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he does, this is a, a bit of a side point, but Jesus does what he always does in Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew's gospel, whenever somebody's in need, Jesus heals them. Always happens in Matthew's gospel. It's interesting. And he does that. He says, stretch out your hand. He shows this act of compassion and love and does the thing that you'd utterly expect someone like Jesus to do and what do the Pharisees do well they missed the point again they've got this small front wheel yet again um because um they know that there are some penalties for healing on the Sabbath and breaking the Sabbath law and in their view that's what Jesus has done and one of the penalties Exodus 31 verse 14 anyone who attempts to heal on the Sabbath can be put to death and so the Pharisees decide that they can plot to put Jesus to death on the Sabbath. And it's, it's utterly ironic, isn't it? Jesus wants to do something that brings life on the Sabbath and is accused of desecrating it, is accused of making it unholy. And the Pharisees want to do something that is incredibly unholy to murder, to put somebody to death on trumped up charges, and yet they plot to do it on the Sabbath. They they completely miss the point. They they completely fail in their vocation, that their sense of calling is far too small. And it would be easy to nod along this afternoon, as I give you those examples of people in the core, as I think about the Pharisees, it'd be easy to nod along they go yeah those pesky Pharisees it'd be easy to nod along and you'll have pictures of people in your mind in your core who you've dealt with in your ministry and you're like oh yeah they're just kind of like Pharisees they just missed the point their front wheel is too small they're majoring in their minor their vision of who Jesus is is too small but what about if this question is asked of us today what about if it started to be pointed back into our own eyes? Almighty God to whom all hearts are open, all desires known and nothing hidden. Through the way things would be, you're looking into my heart. What if that question is asked of us in our heart? And um, it, it would be hard. Are, are we grasping the full sense of our calling? Are we grasping a full sentence of who Jesus is? It is, are we grasping the magnitude of what it is to follow him? And today, if you do nothing else, or if this weekend has taught you nothing else, um, it would be, get a big Jesus. Get a big vision of who Jesus is. When, when you lead worship, um, d- draw people up. Um, that holy Forever just did that for us. All creation cry holy before the throne. Do, do things that give people a big vision of who Jesus is, a big sense of who he is and what he's calling us to do. You, you'll never fix a problem of people that have got a small vision of Jesus by arguing with them about it. You'll never fix it by um, trying to point out all the ways that they've got it wrong. You just need to keep painting a big vision of Jesus. Is a big picture of who it is. Jesus is Lord of it all. That, that's that's what will sustain you in your relationship with God. That, that's what will motivate you. That's what will keep you pushing through it. Um all Jesus tells the Pharisees they're missing the point. He's saying, Hey, you're wondering about grain and you're debating 39 halakha and you're talking about picking your plants on the Sabbath, and but you know, you are talking to the Lord of the Sabbath. It, it's mine, And I sometimes wonder if that's what Jesus might say to us. Hey, you're debating all these really small things about this peculiar part of the body of Christ called the Salvation Army. But you know what? I'm Lord over the Salvation Army. And actually, while I'm at it, I'm Lord over whatever it is that's going on in your life. I'm Lord over your doubts and your insecurities. I'm Lord over your sickness. I'm Lord over your good choices. I'm Lord over your bad choices. I'm Lord over sickness and suffering and pain. I'm Lord over finance and economics and government and politics. He's Lord over our relationships, the ones that are working and the ones that aren't working out as we wanted to. He's Lord over today, over yesterday. Yesterday, over history, over eternity, Um, Ephesians says um, that he's the one that God has put all things under his feet. And if you think about it like that, you go, oh, maybe it doesn't really matter. (laughs) Maybe the stuff I'm getting caught up in sometimes, maybe maybe it won't matter in eternity. Maybe it doesn't matter so much. Get a big vision of who Jesus is. How, How big is your Jesus? He calls you to follow him, a big Jesus. So, calling sets the direction. It sets where we're going. Get a big Jesus. But if it's calling sets the direction, how do we get there? Well, there are two other factors at play in this story. And with the heart, the driving force of worship. And then the first one, one of the back wheels is competency. And um, the Pharisees are are competent. Jesus never says that the Pharisees aren't competent, that they don't really uh, know the detail of the law. They know their stuff. These guys have trained for years and years and years to earn their Pharisee badge. They know the law. They've studied it. They, they know the Torah. They, they, they know their stuff, and uh, we need to know our stuff too when it comes to worship. Les made that point so uh, profoundly this morning. Um, un, um, we we need to perfect our craft, and um, I believe that. I believe we have to be competent if we want to go somewhere. Um, I always remember the first time I ever led worship, and um, I grew up at a core uh, Wallasey. It was a very small core in the northwest um, of um, of England, and. Um, our pianist at the core had a hip replacement. <laughs> that tells you the kind of like, core it was. The pianist had the hip replacement, and we were without musical accompaniment, and I'd been to Roots, and um, I'd had some YouTube videos and been learning to play guitar. That was my only qualification for the very encouraging officer who decided, say, Callum, would you like to lead a song on Sunday? And I remember it. I've talked about it for a long time with my therapist. Um, it, I'd picked How Great Is Our God, and I stood there with my guitar, and um, I put it on, and I had the chord sheet in front of me. I was like, Knocked all the paper everywhere. But, oh, sorry, guys. So they're all stood up, waiting to go. I was thinking, Geraldine Latte was like my hero. I was like, I'm going to be doing all this riffing and all this stuff. and Stand up, and I go, oh, capo on. I go, the splendor of... That's more tuneful than it was, actually. Um, oh, no. So, sorry, sorry, guys. So I readjusted the capo. The splendor of... See, it's not only Geraldine that can speak and sing while she's talking at the same time. Um, and... Um, uh, just deviating between these two keys how great is our God sing with me Uh, all of this all the way through and um, but you know the humble offering that I made before the Lord that day offered with sincerity offered with the right heart you know it really moved people to tears that day and um the, the only place they looked was at the floor as they humored me all the way through it and um the officer was trying to encourage me. Really, she shouldn't have let me get, stand up and do that and put myself in that quite vulnerable position. Um, we need competent worship. M- musical excellence is a good thing because uh, Paul tells us we should do all things as if we're doing them for the Lord. We should approach our music with that um, attitude. Um, but um, there's a very complicated relationship with the two back wheels that drive us forward, which the, the, second, the second back wheel, the third wheel on the tuk-tuk, um, represents character. And there's a really complicated dynamic between our competency and our character. If our competency is what we can do, our skills, our gifts, the things we've trained for, uh, then our character is who we are. It's our disposition. It's our thoughts. It's our attitude, our nature. And if these are wheels, the relationship is that if your competency outweighs your character, you're in trouble. And I've spent a lot of my time over the last decade of ministry seeing lots of leaders, some of whom have got into big trouble because, and and I'm talking about officers, I'm talking about um, all kinds of people right across society um, whose competency has outweighed their character. And it's like having a big wheel on a tuk-tuk. Competency outweighing character um, means that you're just going to go around in circles. You're not going to get anywhere, um, we, we saw that, one of the, I remember, just reflecting on leaders, saw that in Jeremy Clarkson, it was the first time I really noticed that. I loved Jeremy Clarkson, I loved Sunday Night Top Gear, I thought he was a legend of a TV presenter, he did really well, really competent, really funny and creative, but he got sacked. Did he get sacked because he was no longer a good TV presenter because he couldn't do the ju- No, he got sacked because he decked the cameraman, he got sacked because his competency and his character were not in a line, and um, I, I remember seeing this in a worship leader, I grew up in a um that division in that in that transition some of you will have been around where things changed from music school to summer school and um the division was caught up in some of that. Some things had happened. And um, summer school, the music school had gone from like 60 young people. Uh, summer school, the first one, uh, 12 young people. And then the DYO, in all good faith, had brought in um, some worship leaders for um, for the camp. And um, the guy, let's call him Ben. that wasn't his name. Um, I'm going to try really hard not to say his real name. He uh, was that actually connected to Salvation Army in front of the church. Uh, I just remember as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old feeling utterly berated by Ben uh, as he was leading worship. And uh, he said, you guys have just got to loosen up. You know, we were reserved army teenagers. You guys are just, what he meant is, you know, you guys have got to put your hand in the air. You guys have got to be open to the spirit. He just kept calling us you guys all the way. And he was, he was really holy. He was a really talented musician. But then when he went onto the football pitch... It was a different matter altogether. And um, he was like foul tackling all over the place. Um, he was shouting at the referee. He was ki- like, he's like a member of staff. We were the students at the, the music school. And I remember thinking, if he wants us to be holy, if he wants to, I don't want to be like that. There's something that under, you know, um, Jesus, you're so holy, but the referees are, you know, it's that kind of stuff that was going on in his life. And as a young person, I determined if I was ever going to be a leader, I was going to try and make sure. I didn't know this was the language then. I was going to try and make sure that I walked the walk and talked. I was honest with people. I was honest about the stuff I got right and that I got wrong. You can be the most capable musician there is. If you're rude, if you're selfish, if you look after your own ego and you're arrogant, it doesn't really count for very much. Um, And so often... In our culture, in our celebrity obsessed world, we elevate um, competency above character, and sometimes at the expense of character. But this is where Jesus lets rip. At the Pharisees. He doesn't hold back at all. This is not the gentle Jesus, me, meek and mild. He drops some very uncomfortable truth bombs. Verse 33 to 35. He doesn't hold back. You brood of vipers, he says. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. A good person brings up good things that have the good stored up in them. But an evil person brings out Bad. And what Jesus is doing here is making a link between our competency and our character. If competency is the outward stuff and character is the inward stuff, he's saying, if your heart is full of evil things, then that's going to mark and mark your actions, no matter how competent they are. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Um, other translations put it, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks he's like a bad tree won't produce good uh, fruit uh, if you've got rubbish in your heart you're going to get rubbish outcomes it's that straightforward um, I, i'm sick of christians that are unkind but that are very competent Um, I'm sick of being a Christian that can be very competent and doctrinally proficient but be very unkind sometimes. I'm sick of it when I hear Christians putting down women. Um, I'm sick of it when I hear um, Christians being homophobic um, regardless of a solid doctrinal position or not. I'm sick of it when I hear of Christians um, being racist or being rude because it happens. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's a relationship between our character and our competency. It might not look like it, but in our house, we've tried many diets over <laughs> the years. And um, one of my favorites that I got into for a little while was uh, Slimming World. And um, the good thing about Slimming World is it promise, It looks promising. It promises. Eat as much as you want of your favorite food and still lose weight. I'm like, yeah, that's my kind of uh, diet. And um, I remember browsing the recipe book, and um, macaroni cheese in the Slimming World um, recipe book it said it said at the top of it with slimming world mac and cheese you can still indulge in your favorite hearty creamer of pasta, pasta dishes now the usual ingredients for the macaroni cheese that we used to make 300 mils of cream 200 mils of milk 300 grams of cheddar cheese 100 grams of grated Parmesan. The Slimming world ingredients in the recipe, 400 mils of vegetable stock, 200 grams of cottage cheese, and 200 grams of quark, whatever on earth quark is, unless you've done the Slimming world, you'll never come across it before. What do you think it tastes like? It tastes like 400 mils of vegetable stock, 200 grams of cottage cheese, and 200 grams of uh, quark. Um, th- this Moorish Slimming World classic tastes just like bread and butter pudding. Now, bread and butter pudding, eight slices of bread, bread 100 grams of butter, 250 mils of milk, 100 mils of double cream, 50 grams of castor sugar, currants, and nutmeg. The, sl- the Slimming World recipe, two wheat 200 mils of skimmed milk, 100 grams of self raising flour, and 200 tablespoons of sweetener. And, um, My point is, this afternoon, you are not going to get a deliciously creamy, indulgently, heavenly, mouth-watering, rich, gooey mac and cheese with quark. Like, it just ain't happening. You're never going to get bread and butter pudding that is to die for with a couple of Weetabix. Um, It is impossible, right? You get that. You know this stuff. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to get good, holy kingdom fruit if your heart is full of non-kingdom motivations and stuff. He's saying, you know, you're not going to get generous, um, abundant, loving, life-giving worship if your heart is full of being stingy and counting the pennies and worrying about your own ego and being selfish and your own interests. You're not going to get worship that is characterized by love and devotion of Jesus if your heart is full of lust and the need for instant gratification. You're not going to get the kind of worship that brings people together in unity before the throne of heaven if you're harboring discord or disunity in your heart. You're not going to see um, people worship where people are lifted to the throne of heaven as your heart is motivated by your own thrones and your own empire. For from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Pharisees, he's saying, you're motivated by the evil in your heart and so the actions of your hands are characterized by evil. It, it's basic computer science, it's it's GIGO, garbage in, garbage out kind of stuff. And I reckon most of us know this. I reckon most of us feel the sting of some of this stuff. We we know that we're flawed. We know that we do stuff, say stuff, think stuff that we regret. We know we've got a tendency to put things out of perspective, we get it wrong, we mess up, and uh, so often, you know, we might look for some outward solutions to that kind of stuff. We can start to beat ourselves up about it. I've got to try harder. I've got to have more self-discipline. I've got to think my way into being a better person. But the thing is, Jesus is saying this is a problem that starts in the heart. It's an inward problem. And if it's an inward problem, an outward solution isn't gonna cut it. And an inward problem requires an inward solution. There's there's a better way to fix this stuff. And uh, we've had a great time together these last 24 hours. And um, I, I don't know where it all starts to land for you. If you're like, yep, yeah, great time, it was good, some good keyboard stuff. Maybe I, I felt the spirit, I could see something going on, I learned some stuff, it was useful, but I don't know what's next. Actually, I feel like my tuk-tuk's not really going anywhere. I feel like the wheels have fallen off it a little bit. I feel like I'm struggling to hold it together. If, if any of that lands, or it's like, actually, where do I go with this stuff in the context of the Salvation Army? Where do I go with this stuff in that, like, like, like I feel ready, but I feel the heart of our, our core, I feel the heart of the like of the movement. It, it's just not quite there. It, it's out of perspective, either in character or competency or in calling. Um, the temptation would be to try and find all kinds of things we could do to fix it, but there's a better way there's a better way to fix the stuff it's a better way to sort out your heart there's a better way to sort out the heart of the salvation army and what is it what is it it's to give it all back to Jesus it's to give it all back to God it's to place it our heart our lives our movement is to hand it back over to God I'm not a great driver I'll be honest about that and up anyone that's been in the car is like not in a log, like yeah, he's not a bad, he's not a good driver at all. And um, my mum used to live in Tenerife. And um, a few years ago, I went to Vista, Henry was little, and we had to rent a car. And so I decided to rent the same car that I had um, at home and that I had, um, you know, drive. But the problem was in Tenerife, the cars, just like in Holland and Germany, sorry guys, it's all on the wrong side. Like they put the, the steering wheel on they drive on the wrong side of the road. It's weird. I don't get it. And um, 80% of the world get it wrong. Who'd have thought that? And I um, was driving around this car and my mum was in the passenger seat. I was driving and um, I could sense every time i turn a corner, she goes. Like there's this little noise through her teeth. I was like, she's sort of like now sitting on her hands, so then you go around, to get a bit close to a curb, and she go, <laughs> like that. And it was starting to like, then the, the sucks became tuts, so there's sort of been an inward gasp. It was like a sort of noise, like, about my driver just going around. I was like, it's okay, Mum, I know what I'm doing, I've got my driver license, it's okay, it's okay. And then every, like, every bend, every curb is a bit of a, uh, uh, what's going on, sort of um, movement. And eventually, I got so wound up with it, um, I pulled over, I spoke to my mum in a way that a child should not speak um, to their mother. I said, I said Mum, I said, about 10 years ago, I paid a lot of money, and somebody taught me how to drive, and I got a red license, and I know what I'm doing, so if you could keep your opinion to yourself, I'd be quite glad, thank you. She, sorry, 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 went silent. Pulled away, doof! I went straight into a wing mirror and knocked it straight (laughs) off the car as uh, we go away. But do you know what my mum's problem was? My mum's problem, other than the fact that my driving was questionable, my mom's problem was I was thinking about it. Um, my mum spent most of her life driving me around, right? And for so many years, I was the passenger and she was the driver. If she's the driver, she could decide where we were going. She could decide how we were going to go around the corners. Um, if she's the driver, she could decide um, how we were going to get there. She'd, she'd picked me up from school. She'd picked me up where I'd been uh late on night she'd she'd always been in the car and now the thing she was finding the hardest was um i had the keys right i was in control and you know what we need to do today we need to embrace that uncomfortable thing that says actually we've got this car we've got this we're not sure where it's going we're not sure where we're gonna get there but you know what Jesus if you're Lord over it all you can take the keys we're going to sit in the passenger seat. And sometimes it's uncomfortable to sit in the passenger seat because it means like my, my wallet is no longer my wallet. I spend it how Jesus would have me spend If you're in charge, if you're in charge, Jesus, I'm going where you're going. If you're in charge, that's going to take me to some uncomfortable places. But, you know, if Jesus is in charge, if Jesus is setting where we're going, if Jesus is setting the direction, he's going to take you to good places. He's going to take you to places where herds that have been held deep within can be healed. He's going to take you to places where your life can count for more this side of eternity than you could ever ask or imagine. If, if Jesus is in charge of the salvation army, um, we're going to see lives that are restored and, uh, and find freedom in Christ in ways that we never knew would be possible. But we've got to give him the keys. And we don't get to set the direction when we give him the keys. Do you know, today... The, the the thing where it comes down, with the, when we've got to sign our name on the line. And um, Nat, your word was important about wanting to stand in that space. Um, it only happens if each person in the room is willing to hand the keys over. It only happens in the room if each person says, Jesus, I surrender it to you. I offer it back to you. You've given it to me. And it's a bit crummy if I'm in charge of it. But Jesus, I give it over to you. Um, are you going to are you gonna offer your life back to him in consecration and in commitment as we conclude our time together this weekend? Are you going to say, Jesus, yeah, I give it back to you? What would be the best way to do that this mor- this afternoon? What would be the best way to give it back? Um, I'm going to move some chairs as I know one of you help me. I'm going to put them in the front. It- if Mac ever had a big budget, and we could have been in the assembly hall this weekend, um, you'd have seen there is a beautiful, a beautiful mercy seat, the mother of all mercy seats. And um, I look at it, I look at it, I, I, I'm emotional thinking about it. I look at it, prayers on a Monday morning, and it reminds me, as I see the mercy seat, it reminds me of where I knelt in that fairly crummy core at City when I decided, um, when I was, when I was nine, that I was going to be a Christian, and um, that meant crazy things in my life. None of my family uh, are Christians; they didn't understand it. But it was like, actually, Jesus. At this point, I trust you, and I'm willing to go on this adventure. Um, I, I knelt there at a mercy seat when I decided that I wanted more of God in my life, and I wanted to receive the Holy Spirit. I knelt at a mercy seat when I decided I want to ask Barry to be my wife. I knelt. At the mercy seat, when I decided um, I was going to become an officer, and now at the, the mother of all mercy seats in the assembly hall when I signed my covenant that would say, uh, God, I would love and serve you supremely all my days. And today, I don't have a particularly good mercy seat to invite you to come to. I've got some fold-up chairs. But I wonder if, as we conclude our time together, um, there would be those that would want to come and to kneel in consecration and to say, Jesus, whatever this means, I give you the keys. Whatever it means, I surrender to you. Whatever it means, I offer up my life, as uh, Les taught us so well this morning, in spirit and in truth. Pouring out the oil of love as my worship to you. In surrender, I must give my every part. Lord, receive the sacrifice of a broken heart. Let's sing. And as, uh, as we sing, come forward. Come and pray. Come and kneel. Come and make Your response, let's pray. Father, forgive us the times when um, we've had far too small a vision of who you are. Forgive us the times when um, we've not seen you as you are in all your glory. Forgive us too, the times, Lord, where our character has got in the way of our competency. Where we've gone around in circles and not even realized it. Lord, in these moments, would you receive sacrifices of our hearts that are trying their best to love you and want the best for the world that you made and love? Lord, today we renew our commitment before you. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, no secrets kept, all desires known, we give it back to you in these moments, Lord. Spirit, seal our offering, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing and respond. For more information visit salvationist.org.uk